American farmers produce more food, fiber, and fuel than we can possibly consume domestically. That means these products leave our farms and travel to markets abroad. But in order to do that, leaders of countries across the world have to get together to agree on conditions of trade. We're going to be exploring the world of international trade on this edition of the Rural Perspectives podcast. I'm your host, Adam Albrick, and we're being joined by the Executive Director of the Minnesota Agri-Growth Council, Tamara Nelson. Welcome, Tamara. Thank you, Adam. Now, we've seen a lot of news on the trade front during the current presidency. In your opinion, to get us started off, what is the current state of international trade? Wow. Well, what a great question. You know, I think generally because nations need products and um, there's comparative advantages around the world, certain countries do and others do not produce things like coffee. Uh, We don't produce in the United States, so we import it or uh, rubber or some of the specialty fruits like pineapple. So those things are moving typically just like they always do, even if On the other hand, we are in perhaps a time when trade and trade agreements have been called into question uh, by the current administration and or uh, a time when we don't have a big multilateral discussion going on in the WTO, for example. So I would categorize it as things are moving, but they could be better. Now, you and I are talking remotely because of the whole COVID-19 pandemic. This is a a pandemic that is, of course, spread across the entire world. From what you're seeing, what has COVID-19's effect been on trade, if any? Sure. And again, uh, terrific question. So we are seeing everything from, you know, some traditional or traditional food and ag products moving as per normal. Uh, We're even seeing... Uh, things like uh, steel or raw materials or fertilizers moving quite normally across borders, uh, including especially with our North American uh, Free Trade Agreement or the USMCA partners, Mexico and Canada. On the other hand, there have been disruptions in trade uh, reported to us by our members, uh, particularly in terms of just because of COVID, perhaps Um, workers not being uh, in a plant or perhaps some revised manufacturing schedules. Um, We've heard of some shortages, for example, in equipment used in the sugar beet industry, uh, equipment that is typically purchased from Germany. Uh, We've heard about some supply chain uh, disruptions. uh, If there's perhaps some testing of products from certain countries coming in, I think many in the public have heard more recently about a recent outbreak in New Zealand, which had had no cases for more than 100 days. And they they think it might be linked to a cold storage facility that also handles food items. And so I think what we're seeing is kind of a three pronged uh, disruption. One would be because of manufacturing uh, changes or challenges in certain countries that might be producing what you need. Um, We might, the second prong would be that we're seeing some disruptions uh, because of actual uh, concerns over COVID through products. And I guess the third one would be just just some shifts. Because of shifts in um, products maybe moving to retail instead of food service, Um, we're seeing some supply chain disruptions that would even extend all the way to trade. So 
definitely some shifts and probably a decreased trade uh, internationally over what we might normally see. And I guess I this would be part of the, the third prong, but even with um, petroleum products, for example, because use of gasoline is, has been down, we are probably seeing some shifting um, of petroleum trade around the world and possibly more storage of products because they're not being used by consumers. We're going to get into a little bit more of the political side in, in just a little bit, but the U.S. agriculture exports in fiscal year 2020 are projected at somewhere right around $136 billion by the USDA. That that number's, of course, been adjusted some with, with COVID, uh, mm-hmm. the, the outbreak of COVID. That's down from a peak of probably $152 billion in 2014. Tamara, we hear these really large numbers, but they can be hard to really put into perspective. What does foreign trade mean for your average farmer in the likes of Minnesota, North Dakota, or Wisconsin? Sure. Well, wow. If, you know, for the average min, min, or Midwestern farmer, you know, we typically would say, depending on location, probably two out of every five rows of soybeans two in some cases in some states, three out of every 10 rows of corn, you would see exported um, wheat, uh, depending on the type, certainly North Dakota wheat, uh, very, very much in the export market. So for the average farmer, I typically like to use 25% or better of their um, farm sales come from exports. And so really important. Uh, dairy is another sector. Uh, I think we I think we export around 12% of our dairy and dairy byproducts production. And then we've even seen, uh, you know, quite a large burgeoning export market, even for things like ethanols or ethanol or DDG's uh, processes. Because of the ethanol making process, we have those exports. So very important to your Midwestern farmer and because we are a fixed size nation, we are not growing in population very rapidly. It's really important to Midwestern farmers in particular that we have increases in export markets because that's really the only way to increase their sales and their profitability since our own population here in the U.S. is fairly static. Now with this president, We've seen a lot of action on the trade front. Uh, one of his first acts was when Donald Trump took us out or removed the United States from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Things like this sent a very clear signal early on that it's going to be a little bit different. Was this type of action a missed opportunity for American farmers? Oh, I definitely think so. Uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership was uh, had been underway over at least three administrations. So um, if you think back, that would have included at least one Democratic administration and two, or possibly two, and two Republican. Uh, I worked on it as long ago as 20 at least years ago. So I'm thinking could have been Clinton, Bush were both engaged in that, but it had even started earlier in terms of discussions. The other thing that is um, missed about that is that was a very high standard agreement. So the USMCA, the new one, is a very high standard agreement. We came up with um, processes and standards in that agreement uh, on biotechnology, on traceability, that are 
very 21st century in terms of how you want to have a trade agreement between your trading partners. TPP had that in already. And in fact, many of the things in the new USMCA were already had been discussed and worked through in TPP because Japan, New Zealand, Australia, others in that agreement are very high standard. The other missed opportunity with um, TPP is that we already have trade agreements with six of the 11 nations in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So it was the additive value of having other nations added to a great agreement that we already had and the high standard of that agreement being increased. So those were you know, really the main reasons of missed opportunity. And I, I would categorize a final one just for thought that it would have been a great countermeasure strategically in the region to China's power. And so as a result of being pulled out of that and nothing moving forward for the U.S. on that on that side, other than an agreement with Japan, we are having now four years in that region of not having any counterweight to China as a major trading partner. It could have been the U.S. having the influence over there, and uh, consequently, for at least four years, it will be China having the primary influence. Now, with the United States not you know, getting involved in the TPP or, or I should say pulling out of the TPP, do you see any other type of powers around the world trying to step in and maybe fill that vacuum that we've left? Yeah, you know, Europe jumped on very quickly and because they are a very developed nation that produces a lot of value added agricultural products and they tend to demand from the region the same kinds of things the U.S. does. I, I believe Europe and Canada both went in very strong into the region and, and you know, it's kind of like when you're in a, a, a sports team and you, you look at what the competition is doing and when you see your top two competitors in the hockey world or something going after something that you just dusted under the table. It's a little bit demoralizing, but yeah, Europe and Canada have really worked to go strongly into the region. And then I think too, Japan has um, exercised a bit of its leadership and authority uh, in the region to try to secure some of its supply chains and agreements in the region. Well, the United States has, of course, reworked a few deals with South Korea, with Japan. Are these improvements upon what we already had, and do they make up a little bit for what we lost in the TPP? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, it is the the current administration. It's definitely a negotiating style to kind of say something's bad and then threaten it and then get rid of it and then go back into the kind of the same room in the same playing field and then maybe negotiate um, some improvements. So I think what what we could say is that we definitely made progress with Japan um, bilaterally in some areas that we would have gotten in TPP that that it's great to have with Japan. Um, and so that's good, especially for our, our meat exporters and pork in particular. I think as far as South Korea and some of the other agreements, you know, it's important to note that the steel and aluminum tariffs that the U.S. put on, um, we put many of those even against countries that we had trade agreements with. And I would categorize it as we're just lucky that they depend so much on the U.S. economy to to pull their goods 
uh, and, and import them into the U.S. and that they give us favorable treatment even when we're behaving badly um, because in many cases those tariffs could have been lifted against our major trading partners a lot earlier and they weren't. And so it's a little bit hard to tell what possibly some sort of trade distorting things are still going on with some of those countries. Uh, in some cases, they just sort of gave us the benefit of the doubt and kept moving. In others, there were probably tariffs and taxes put in place against our goods. So on balance, we haven't gained from pulling out of TPP whatsoever. I guess we could possibly, however, feel that eventually once we renegotiate and or get back into that regional agreement, people will then feel like it's adequate and it's good rather than thinking it was something bad in the first place. So I guess on balance, perhaps we will all feel a little bit better about the trade agreements we have um, if they are uh, redone. Now, speaking about feeling good, of course, the I would say the most significant trade deal is with our partners here in North America, Canada and Mexico. Prior to the North American Free Trade Agreement in 1993, the total amount of egg exports was valued at somewhere around $43 billion. Of course, since then, it's increased by over $100 billion. How relieved are you that the new USMCA has crossed the finish line is now the rule of the land? It's very important. I mean, it, it makes my day. It makes my year. We were so nervous when that agreement almost was shuttled. Was it nearly three years ago now? Um, you know, talk about ag groups banding together and all calling our contacts within and outside of the White House all at once and getting everyone from uh, Secretary Purdue to Greg Dowd to others to run over with charts and graphs and say, no, this is absolutely essential. We can't pull out or um, get rid of it. So we are thrilled that that agreement is solidified and going into implementation on a very a positive note. Again, the agreement was very much uh, improved and updated to the standard of that the Trans-Pacific Partnership had been raised to and a little bit beyond. So there's some great standards now for um, trade in biotech and other products. And we did gain some additional uh, markets on the dairy side, uh, particularly in Canada, that we did not have earlier in the earlier agreement. So we have definitely secured our, uh, our most, our closest neighbors, again, as trading partners. And I think good relationships continue with those countries just like with any agreement, you know, we're going to disagree from time to time and we might have some disruptions or some cases against each other. But as a trading block and with those two countries being uh, two of the top three uh, trading nations for uh, Minnesota and our surrounding states, it's great news for us to have USMCA in place. And we had a little celebration on uh, June 30th in that regard. <laughs> Absolutely. So from your contacts, maybe still working on these trade deals and things like that, you mentioned the president's negotiating style a little bit ago, but how close do you feel we actually were to the president scrapping NAFTA and possibly just saying, fine, we'll just do it on our own? 
You know, that's a great question. Um, it's always difficult to even retrospectively project where we might have gone uh, under the current administration. I think we were very close uh, to at least it verbally being scrapped. Uh, it's possible that by the next morning it would have changed, but that was still you know, fairly early on in the administration. Some of the about faces weren't as rapid then as they are now. Um, I think we were very close, and I think it would have probably been the worst thing that the United States um, had ever done were we to truly have pulled out, um, keeping in mind that we have an agreement. We had an agreement in NAFTA, so we, if we hadn't passed USMCA, we would have reverted to NAFTA. And to undo that treaty, I think, would take a little bit more than a presidential order. So. I think it was it was close, but and I don't think it was an idle threat. And so I think we are fortunate that, you know, the administration saw the the wisdom of, you know, renegotiating and getting something on the table that, you know, they could call their own. And I think that was really important. Um, again, you know, for those who are not familiar, NAFTA was negotiated across multiple administrations. So it's not like one party or one administration wrote all the rules and therefore it's bad. Um, it was negotiated across multiple administrations. I think when I worked on it, the original, and keeping in mind again before NAFTA was the Canada-US free trade agreement, or uh, I think we called it CUSTA at the time, um, there were at least three U.S. trade representatives that we worked on um, those agreements with, and each one you progressively improved things um, as time changes. So do trade flows, and so I think one thing we've we've learned is that it's it's okay to go back and look at trade agreements and try to improve them, right? And so if the negotiating style is in order to do that is to, to and put focus on it is to criticize the one we have maybe that's okay. Now, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty within agriculture, so having a little bit of certainty with these trade deals is a good thing. But, of course, we can't talk about trade without spending some time on China as well. They represent a significant chunk of egg imports. What are your views on the trade deal that the Trump administration was able to strike with the Chinese government? I think that was a great first step. You know, China, I was there first, I think, in 2000 and again in 2001 and 2008, and it it changes very rapidly. And I remember when we used to be concerned every time China had a big buy of things that they weren't buying sooner, like pork or corn or whatever, because it would shift markets so quickly. And even back then, you know, 15 years ago, we would say China's going to be our best market and China's going to be our worst market because we knew of the possibility of volatility we knew of the possibility of strange tariff or non-tariff barriers to our products just for political reasons. Uh, we knew they would have efforts to show protection to their own farmers, and therefore they would try to keep our products out. And we also knew that they would not always abide by our patent and other trademark laws. And that was um, all known when we started working to trade with China. I think that perhaps the depth of the impact of some of the, I won't call it illegal, but not WTO compatible type behavior that we had from China in our um, trade relationship 
had deteriorated to a point where we needed to do something about it. And so, you know, yes, we are now making progress on agreements and the, the phase one trade deal. And despite a lot of projections that, that those sales would not take place for one reason or another because of COVID or something else, it does look like many of those purchases uh, have occurred and, and hopefully will occur. So I think on balance, we are still moving forward despite all the rhetoric. It would be better for our farmers if we had moved forward more quickly because the lack of certainty in the markets, you know, how long can you hang on is the question. We had some big exporting years in the in the 2013, 14, and 15, but now we've had six years for certain of kind of de- declining market opportunities, and now we have COVID. So the certainty is terrific. The progress we've made more recently on getting some trade back to normal with China is good, but I think the time is now to really start focusing on a long-term strategic engagement uh, with China where both parties can can have advantages, and I know that farmers in the U.S. will definitely benefit from that. What type of appetite do you feel the Chinese government would really have or the incentives that they have to, to strike a more long-term deal with the United States? You know, many years ago in China, it was interesting. They would, you would ask, that we would ask them if they were planning to plant corn or soybeans or wheat, you know, some of those major crops that they bought from us or we're planning to because we thought, gosh, we kind of want to know, are they going to become a competitor like Brazil is? And they would say, no, no, we're not going to, doesn't make sense for us to focus on that. We have too many people that we need to employ. We're going to focus on the high end orchids or, you know, specialty products or perhaps a lot of our own pork, but we intend to purchase commodities from producers like the U S and Europe. You know, I think in giving what we've seen in the trade disruptions in recent years, I think it's entirely possible that China has had some time now to maybe think about growing some of their own row crops, Um, you know, sort of just to be safe, just to build some redundancy into their food supply rather than just turning to the U.S. or Brazil for their products. Having said that, they don't have a tremendous amount of arable land to work with, so their ability to do that is somewhat restricted. So I think we, we have we have possibly provoked them to kind of look internally, um, you know, kind of nationalistically and say, gee, maybe we should produce more ourselves. Um, but I don't think that's going to be the complete answer to their um, to their response. And I do think in the long run in general, uh, we find that the Chinese people typically very much like Americans and they like American products. And it's um, a bit of a kind of a panache to to buy things from America. So I think given uh, good quality, uh, good prices, good shipping coming out of the U.S., I think that the Chinese will be just as likely to purchase our products now and going into the future as they were in the past. But I think a new trade agreement or some type of a new strategic agreement with them would, would greatly solidify that, and it would be to our benefit. That is part one of our two-part series with Tamara Nelson, Executive Director of the Minnesota Agri-Growth Council. 